You're listening to Elk Point Baptist Church. Subscribe to our podcast to hear every sermon and like us on Facebook by searching Elk Point Baptist Church, located in Elk Point, South Dakota. Uh, one of the more commended churches, we found out about the founding of this church in Acts 17. That's when Paul and Silas and Timothy uh, came to town preaching. Uh, they, got, uh, they went to the synagogue first. Some of the Jews got saved. They went to the, the Gentiles. Uh, many of them got saved. Mostly Gentiles were getting saved. And the Lord did a great work there. They were only there just maybe a couple of months before persecution. Uh, because of persecution, Paul and uh, Silas, Timothy, those guys left. But it's cool that the work continued to go on. Can you imagine that? Somebody just Can you imagine somebody coming to your town and you've never heard the gospel, you're worshiping idols, that's what these people did, hearing the gospel, you get saved, and you have like maybe a couple of months worth of learning the word of God, and I guess it would have something to do with the apostle Paul, the way the Lord would use him, and he was apostle, so there's got to be something to that, but just literally a couple of months, uh, a few, I believe at the very most that Paul would have been there, he leaves but then finds out that this church is just still rocking and rolling. Not literally, you know, but uh, it wasn't Sunnybrook. But they were, um, but they were still going. You know, they were, uh, they were still going. They were still just doing like awesome, and because that's what this church did. And another interesting thing about the First and Second Thessalonians, it was written from Corinth, but this is one of the first, uh, one of the first books written in the New Testament. Uh, these two epistles, First and Second Thessalonians. Um, so, uh, but this church, you could just see Paul's attitude toward this church. And so, the, I titled the message tonight, The Punch of a Powerful Church. The Punch of a Powerful Church. Um, and uh, because I'm thinking about the impact that this church made. This is a good model church here in the Word of God. And, it, and, and I think about, again, the context of First and Thessalonians is the last days, which is the days that we're living in. And so we can go back to this book that was written a couple thousand years ago, but since it's the Word of God and God is the author of Scripture, then, of course, he knew that today how relevant this book would be to us and, 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 and an example to our church right here in Elk Point and right here to you as an individual and us as a church collectively. So... We know, of course, that there's not a perfect church. There doesn't exist a perfect church, but church, uh, some churches are more ideal than other churches. And I think that we can strive to have a church that truly honors God. Uh, I'll, I'll just tell you right now, studying Thessalonians, uh, this chapter one is gonna be challenging for us as a church and as Christians. Chapter two gets even more challenging, especially when it comes to the leaders and to the pastor of the church. Uh, because there is really, really something. I don't know when it faded. I, I like history. I like finding out timelines and when things happen. But by the time I became a Christian, the type of discipleship that's described in the Bible was non-existent, um, or at least uh, there wasn't as much of it. I shouldn't say non-existent, because I did have some great guys that really influenced me, or I wouldn't be here today in, the, in terms of discipleship. Uh, but, you know, for some people, discipleship... Uh, for some people, number one, some people don't even know what discipleship is. Uh, number two, for some of us that may know about discipleship, they're like, oh, yeah, I've been discipled. I, we had a 12-week class before I got baptized or, after, or when I joined a church or whatever. Uh, that's, that is, that's 12 weeks worth of discipleship. 
But that is not, bam, check the box, discipleship is over. Um, so th th this book is going to be super challenging because there's, there are some things that, that I believe, you know, modern churches have lost. And I just say by the time that it has even got to us that I really want to see us pick back up and especially on the discipleship. And I think what we are going to find is that we, we're going to find there's people that are active in discipleship, whether they know it or not, honestly, right here within our church. Uh, but I think it's something that as a church that we should be more intentional about on the discipleship part. But that'll be uh, down the road. But this is a, a great church. It's a great model church. Uh, there's not a perfect church, but we can be a church that brings glory and honor to God. Uh, just, just to give you an example, look at chapter 1, verse 2, which we'll read all of this in a minute. But he says, we give thanks to God always for you all making mention of you in our prayers. We thank God always for all you making mention of you in our prayers. Then look at chapter 2, verse 13. The Bible says, oh, it starts right there. For this cause also we thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God, which ye heard of us, ye received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. So there's another reference of him just commending this church. And then in chapter 3, verse 9 of 1 Thessalonians, chapter 3, verse 9, the Bible says, For what thanks can we render to God again for you, for all the joy wherewith we joy for your sakes before our God? Night and day, prayer exceeding. But you can see the idea. There's another cool thing when you look at chapter 1, verse 1. What's the very first word of chapter 1, verse 1? Anybody? Chapter 1, verse 1 of 1 Thessalonians. Paul. All right. There's something that's, uh, that's sometimes included in other books that comes before Paul that's not here in 1 Thessalonians. And what sometimes comes before Paul? The apostle. Or sometimes after Paul, an apostle, I should say that. He, many times he will include his title. He'll say Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Uh, but here he just says, hey, it's Paul. Uh, it's Paul. It's Silvanus. Uh, and Timotheus, I understand traditions we get along the way, by the way, um, but it's okay. I don't mind people calling me Jesse. Uh, and I understand, you know, I had a fellow tell me one time, well, you know, in the military, if you, if you don't call the guy, you got to call the guy by his rank to recognize his authority and his position and all that stuff. Uh, well, that's all well and good, but uh, I'm good being Jesse. And I don't mind being preacher that's one of my favorite if you're gonna if I have a pastor type name I like that but uh, pastor preacher I've been called Rev I've been called brother I've been called um, some other things that uh, by people but uh, but but you know but he but he just says Paul but but there's also it's more to it than that also here because Galatians it's Paul the apostle because I'm pulling rank right here I need to remind you, I'm about to write to you, and I got some things to tell you, and I just want to remind you, I'm the apostle. Uh, because he's not able just to write to them as their friend, uh, as the, the, the affectionate person, because he's having to address issues within the church. So he kind of, in those situations, he pulls rank a little bit, so to speak. Uh, but with Thessalonians, he doesn't have to. This is a church that we're going to see why this church seems to be so ideal. Some of the characteristics, and... These are some of the characteristics that we can look to as well 
to try to continually pattern our church after also. Um, Evan, could you get me? Oh, my water's right there. Would you mind bringing it up, or you could just toss it to me? Um, the first thing I want to notice is in... Thank you. Very good to toss. Uh, the first thing here, let's just look right here and, and continue to read chapter 1, verse 1. Paul and Silvanus and Timotheus unto the church of, of the Thessalonians, which is in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. You see the Trinity right there in these verses. There's a lot that we could unpack, but we'll continue verse 2. We thank God. We, thank, we give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers. Verse 3, remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God and our Father, knowing, brethren, beloved, your election of God. For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance, as you know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. Verse 6. Now, this is kind of answering the question there. He says, I remember you. Verse 3, man, you've got a work of faith, a labor of love, a patience of hope. And it's telling us how they got to this point. Verse 6, and ye became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost so that ye were in samples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. For from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia, but also in Achaia. But also in every place your faith to God were to spread abroad, so that we need not speak any, anything. For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you, and how ye turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. A couple of the first things I just want to point out here is the directive. The directive. Uh, the very, one of the very first things we understand he's addressing here is to the church. To the church. And understand that God, when you read the New Testament epistles and read the New Testament in general, you get the emphasis of the local church over and over and over again. These letters were to be read in local churches. Um, you know, we, we say it and it's true. It was said a lot around the COVID time. Hey, we're the church. And that's absolutely true. But what we don't need to think is that we're the church independent from each other. Uh, because the idea is, is the church is a group of people that have been saved, that we've been called out of the world, but we've been called out to meet together in a place. It, it's the, the Greek word is ekklesia. And it was a word that was a, a commonly used word back in that day. There would be, uh, the Romans would have an ekklesia. They would have, a, they would have an assembly. It would be announced. They would say, hey, we're having a meeting uh, in, you know, at uh, City Hall or whatever uh, on this day at this time. And, and, and people get the notice and people would come out from their homes and their individual places and they would come, come together and they would gather together. Uh, to be an ecclesia, a called-out assembly. Um, and so people understood when you said church, okay, so this is people that have been called out. We're being called out from our homes and our, our communities, and we're being called out to come together to worship, to serve, to make a difference. Now, these churches, 
Many of these early churches seldom had church buildings. Uh, they mostly met in houses. They met, uh, you know, out in open air. They met wherever they could. Uh, the churches would be divided up many times into groups all the way, all across uh, the area. But the church still was a called out assembly. Uh, but when I say the directive, it goes back to what Jesus said in Matthew 16, verse 18, when he says, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. But I just think it's cool to think about what is this ideal church made up of? What is this church that did such great things? What's it really made up or who's it made up of? And it's just cool to me because you see that in verse number nine, it was people who turned to God from idols to serve the living and the true God. In other words, it was heathen. It was pagan people. It was people who were not living their lives in order to please God. It was people who were living their lives in darkness, uh, but had heard the gospel, and that's what this church was made up of. And I'm glad that God just has churches that's just made up of sinners saved by the grace of God. Ain't that right? Now, whether it is uh, what we think of as really bad sinners or good sinners uh, by the world standards, the fact is we all know that we're just all a bunch of sinners that are saved by the grace of God. The directive for the church came from Jesus Christ. He started the church. We see it here in the Word of God. He continues his church. Christ builds his church. One of the great things about this church is that they were very evangelistic. They tried to get their friends and their neighbors and their families, and they didn't just, they tried and they were successful in bringing people to Christ and seeing many people saved. Uh, and, and by God's grace, we're seeing people saved, and we're seeing people come to Christ. And we want to see that more and more, and we want to we expect that, and we want to be anticipating people to come to church and get saved by the grace of God. Um, uh, Denver here, I... Uh, not to embarrass him, but I don't think he'd be embarrassed about being saved, amen, but I think it's about three weeks ago tonight, if I'm not mistaken, that, that Denver called on the Lord. Isn't that wonderful? Uh, Ashley, you know, we're sending her off. Uh, she got saved. It hasn't been that long ago in the big scheme of things, and, and the way the Lord's working in her life, and uh, bringing her family, bringing her friends, and that's how we could go right down through uh, people, the way the Lord works. God's working, and we ought to anticipate. We ought to be looking for people to come that are unsaved and to get saved by the grace of God. But there's the cool thing, one good thing about Jesus building his church is it helps us not get so frustrated because Jesus Christ did not command us to build his church. He said, this is my church, and I'm going to build it. Now, we have a part in that. We need to be faithful. We need to be sounding out. Uh, I'll come back to that uh, toward the end. We need to be sounding out like the Bible says these people did. They sounded out the message. They got the word of God out. But when it really comes down to it, uh, I can't save anybody. I can't convert anybody. Uh, ha have you ever had somebody, I've had people tell me before, uh, preacher, you saved me. I I've had people, I've, I've talked to people before and say, hey, maybe, maybe, they, maybe they've, uh, they've, they've been saved and now they want to be baptized. And then they say, uh, then I say, well, man, can you tell me about when you got saved? Well, preacher, you remember, you saved me. Well, I've never saved anybody as far as spiritually speaking goes, okay? I've never saved anybody's soul. Uh, only Jesus can do that. Now, I, and I will say, by the way, that just because somebody says that don't mean that they think that I'm the Savior and that they really trust me. Sometimes they just mean, no, remember you led me to the Lord, you prayed with me. Sometimes once you get down to it, that's what they mean. Uh, but I, we can't save anybody. And I just say that to say that it kind of takes the pressure off. That our job is to be faithful. 
uh, the, the Lord's blessed here. I, I, I want to continue to see the Lord blessed here. Uh, but you know, there, there's other places where there's uh, churches that are just as faithful as our church is, but they don't see the same results our church sees. Uh, they're not a failure as a church. They're, doing, they're being obedient to what God's called them to do, but uh, the, the church isn't growing the way that they would like for it to. But when it really comes down to it, Lord Jesus, you're the one that has to convict hearts. We're going to be faithful to pray. We're going to be faithful to get the word out. We're going to be faithful to try to live lives that are, you know, that show the grace of God, that show the gospel of Jesus Christ. So the directive comes from Christ. That's the church. Notice their drive uh, quickly here. Notice their drive in verse 3. What's some of the things that really drove them? Here it is. Remembering that without ceasing, your work of faith. So he's describing the, 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 the work that God's doing in this church. And remember, the church is us, so it's individuals that make up this group of ours and, and a group of theirs. But they were known for a work of faith. They were known for a labor of love. And they were known for patience of hope. All right? This, is what, this was their fuel. What was their fuel? Work of faith. Faith, love, and hope was their fuel that we see right here. Faith. These are three of the virtues of the Christian life and three of the greatest evidences of salvation. Uh, faith, folks, always leads to works. Did you know that? Um, faith always leads to works. Now, faith is not necessarily works, but if, if you know, but it's like just like salvation. Salvation, we teach and we heard that uh, we're all sinners. The wages of sin is death. There's a condemnation for sin, but Jesus Christ died on the cross, rose again to forgive us of our sins and to save us, but we must accept him as Savior. That we must respond to that even. Uh, we must say, okay, Lord Jesus, I want you to be my Savior. I, I don't want to go down this path anymore. I want you to be my Savior. I want to go your way. Faith. I mean, if we really believe something, we act on it. When you go to Hebrews chapter number 11, what, what do you see? By faith, what do they do, Evan? They always did something. Noah built, Enoch walked, um, you know, Abel sacrificed. You just go right down through there. So we are not saved by our works. We're saved by grace through faith. But if we believe, uh, our belief changes our behavior. So that's one of the things we see. So they had a work of faith. Not only did they have a work of faith, but they also had a labor of love. The Bible says in Romans chapter 5, verse 5, that the love, this is a beautiful verse, listen to it. Romans 5, 5, the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. Isn't that wonderful? The, the love of God being just shed abroad. I mean, just growing, flourishing God's love. But it's a labor of love. Is living the Christian life always easy? It's not always easy. It's hard sometimes. It's challenging a lot of times. Um, he talks about labor here. Labor, because uh, he said work of faith. Now he's talking about a labor of love. This laboring thing, man, this is talking about working hard. This is talking about getting wore out. Uh, this is talking about uh, sometimes, sometimes the word is used to mean laboring to the brink of exhaustion. Labor of love. But the important thing is, is if we keep our first love, because the, the Ephesian church later, by the time Jesus addressed them in the book of Revelation, 
They were laboring, but he said they left their first love. And so pretty soon, they quit. The, the, the church was no longer functioning the way it ought to work. They were standing, they were standing for what's right. They were working really hard. They were laboring and working to the brink of exhaustion. But may God always help us to make sure we know why we're doing what we're doing. We're doing it, we're doing it because of love. We're doing it because of a love for our Savior. Now, I'm not saying that there's not a time that we don't have to do stuff out of obedience. Um, uh, there's, there's been times that, uh, you know, they, they say something funny sometimes about missionaries. Um, that, uh, you know, I've been around missionaries for my whole life. By the way, uh, missionaries ought not just be considered people that are in foreign fields. Um, one of the things that we'll see as we go through Thessalonians is, really, I learned this years ago from a missionary that was in Peru, but he was just going through these verses in, in Thessalonians along with some other verses about discipleship and so forth. This is what the church ought to do. But it's funny that people on the foreign field that are considered missionaries this is what we expect them to do. You know, lead people to Christ. Train up these people and, and all that stuff. You know, spend time with them. But we're not missionaries here in the United States, so we just kind of set up shop, preach to them a couple times, three times a week maybe, um, and that's good enough. You know, we're not trying to plant other churches out of our churches like we expect missionaries are supposed to do. Uh, we're not trying to disciple people and train preachers the way I say we, but I'm just saying, speaking generally, it shouldn't be any different from them than it is us. Uh, and, and that's a sad thing I talk about with whatever's going on in our country. Uh, for e any pastor that doesn't think of himself as a church planner or a missionary, I'm not being critical of that because literally it's just like not even on the radar anymore. But I'm telling you, it's a sad, sad day that it's not. Because every pastor ought to have the same mentality that Keith Shoemaker has in Africa. Seeing more churches started. Seeing more preachers trained. Uh, seeing people within the church, regular people, so to speak, people that aren't preachers, people that aren't teachers, that are being discipled, then discipling others. And right down the line that goes, that's, that's a biblical model. And somewhere, somewhere along the line that's been lost in America especially. Um, but there's times that we have to do, I was talking about missionaries, okay? There's a, there's a funny thing that's sometimes said about missionaries. And, and, and you could just pay attention to this, okay? Maybe you'll even catch it, okay? We've got a missionary that's going to be here Sunday, showing his giving his presentation uh, there. So we've got a missionary Sunday, um, but um, he's going to be here Sunday. And and they say that a missionary, when he's going to the field, all the people, all the people of of, of Peru, look at these precious faces, look at these wonderful people. Oh, these people, these people, these people. That's their first time through. When they come back four to five, six years, eight years later, a lot of times it's not about the people anymore. It's just about the need in general. God sent us there. There's a work to do. There's souls to be saved. Because I say that because sometimes the idea of missions gets romanticized. Uh, and in other words, we think that if we just go to another country, these people are going to be different. But guess what people are in other countries still? There's still people. And I kid you not, it's hilarious um, how, um, how that I, I can think of stories that I would hear missionaries tell of troubles they've had 
I think of one in particular, and it was that it was Keith Shoemaker. And he, but he was talking about uh, the problem he was having with uh, a person in in his church, and it was just among missionaries that we were in a class. And I just remember thinking uh, back to my church when I was uh, uh, in, in Pierre before coming here, and I remember thinking to myself, "Well, I know that guy. I know that guy." And it's crazy when you start hearing stories. You're like, "I know him. I know her." And the point is, is people are the same everywhere. And people sometimes go to the mission field and they find out, man, uh, these people aren't rolling out the red carpet loving me. They're trying to take advantage of me. They don't want me here. They're whatever. They're causing trouble. Uh, all these other things that can happen. So a lot of times when missionaries go back the second time, it's just like, it's not that they don't love the people anymore, but they're, they've got down to where, you know what? I don't care how the people act. I don't think that the people have to be all great. They still need Jesus, so I'm going and preaching to them. And it's just going to be a little bit different perspective. Uh, that may not make any sense, but, uh, but, it, but it does to me. Okay, so their drive. Their drive, their fuel is faith. Their fuel is love. Man, may God help us to have a love and be motivated by love. Love one another. Be motivated by the love of Christ. There's no greater motive than that of love. And then also hope. Uh, the Bible says the work of faith, the labor of love, and the patience of hope. Uh, can somebody tell me, uh, what, what is biblical hope? What's biblical hope? Now, okay, let me ask you this first, okay? Tell me what the world's idea of hope is. Okay, where's Ronnie just walked in? Ronnie's got a worldly hope. I'm not condemning him for it. But you know what he's probably hoping? He's probably hoping we get a decent rain. <laughs> Too late now. Uh, that's not, that kind of hope isn't biblical hope. Because Ronnie's hope is like, I hope it does. Looking at the radar, maybe it will. Maybe it won't. More than likely it won't. Right? That's the kind of hope that we're used to. That and biblical hope, not the same thing. Gerald, what were you going to say? That's it. Confidence in God and His ways. It's, so so when, the, when the Bible says the patience of hope, and when the Bible talks about the blessed hope of Jesus Christ, it's not, man, I sure do hope He comes. I don't know if he's coming or not. Probably not. It'd be nice, though. You know. But, folks, that is not the kind of hope that we have. We don't have that hope when it comes to the blessed hope, but even just in general, the patience of hope. Because if that's the kind of hope we had, we wouldn't have patience. And, again, let's do it. Let's, let's define another word. What's a good example? What's a good biblical example of biblical patience? What's Bible patience? Job. All right? And... And, and the reason why there's another P word that's biblical patience. Because if you look at Job, Job does not fit the bill for our def the definition we often use for patience. Perseverance. Ding, 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 ding. Uh, that's it. So, so the perseverance of assurance. So the, 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 the patience of hope is the perseverance of confidence. So that we can persevere, we can, and what's another word? We can persevere, we can keep on keeping on. Because I'm going to tell you something, it ain't easy. I already said that, didn't I? These people, we're not going to be able to get to it tonight, but we read it already. These people went through tough times. You're going to go through tough times. Oh, that's good, preacher. I've already been through some tough ones. You're going through more. I promise you. You are. We all are. 
we have patience. Why? Because we have hope. What is hope? It's confidence in what God said. It's confidence that God will do what he said he would do. So we've got the word of God. And the reason these people were able to persevere, the reason these people were able to keep on keeping on was because of hope. Biblical hope, which is confidence. I know what my God said, and I know he's going to come through. I believe I'm looking at some folks tonight that know a little bit of something about the patience of hope. That you've been through enough in your life as a Christian that the reason you're sitting here tonight is the patience of hope. Because the, the, the thing that we, the thing that many of us have learned, learned, but we still need to learn and remind ourselves because sometimes we start to lose some hope. And when we start losing hope, guess what we start losing? Patience. In other words, perseverance. We, we have a hard time keeping on keeping on because now we're not so sure if God's going to come through or not. Now, we would never say, I'm not sure if God's going to come through or not. But how many of you could be honest and say there's times that you're not thinking it through, but that's, that's basically what you're, the way you're acting. You know how you know that? Because you worry. That tells me right there. Uh, and I worry. I mean, so many things, okay? But that's like a red light for us. It's like a, it's like a signal popping up on our, our uh, dashboard, you know, on our instrument panel in our cars. Ding, red light, come on. What is it? I'm worrying. What's why? Well, I'm, I must be losing hope. I must be losing a little bit of my confidence, my assurance in God. Uh, or, or, you know, you and you start going through tough times, and uh, which we all do, and you don't feel like you're going to make it. Maybe you start falling off a little bit. Uh, I can remember, man, I, I've told you this before. Uh, I can remember as a, uh, and, and I'm looking at the teens because I was a teenager. Uh, I feel sometimes, I, I don't feel that far from their age until I realized that I graduated like, what, 10 years ago? Probably closer to 30. Um, but, uh, I, but, but I start thinking about that, but I don't feel so far from their age. But I got saved, and the, the difference between having patience of hope, that, that confident assurance, is that a lot of times when you first get saved, you run on feelings. This is cool. The burden's been lifted, you know, and, uh, man, I got goosebumps and everything when them folks got up there singing. It was just great, and I love all that. Believe me, I do. Uh, but what happened was I would be up and down. When things were going good, when I felt good, guess where I was at? Right here on that uh, second seat over on the very front, on my left-hand side, right there. Praising God, singing out, hallelujah, just having a time. Have a little tough week at work. People would come get me from church. Some of y'all heard this story, but some of you hadn't. People, people, man, and I'm telling you, man, I was, I'm glad people are patient with me. You, you want to know the kind of kid I was? I'll tell you the kind of kid I was. After I was saved now, people would drive about one way to get me. Uh, it would be close to the equivalent of leaving Elk Point, driving to Sioux City to pick a kid up. Okay? Uh, people that, by the way, had worked all day. Now they're driving to Sioux City to pick me up to get me back to church here in Elk Point. It's, it was Gastonia and Bessemer City, but it's close. All right? Um, they show up, Sarah Sue. Didn't really have too good of a day. Kind of not feeling it. Feeling a little bit discouraged. So Shane, I would, uh, I'm glad Bud, it wasn't Bud picking me up or he'd probably got me, but uh, uh, 
But I, but I, but I, I'd open up the door and just stick my hand out and do this number. Not going today. I wouldn't even talk to him though. He said, "Why didn't you text him?" We well, all know the answer to that question, most of you. <laughs> um, but, uh, but, but, can you imagine that? I'm glad. Just think about this. If there weren't some people that was willing to put up with a kid like that, you wouldn't know me today. Ain't that something? What if somebody's just saying, I ain't got time for that junk. He's going to learn a lesson. By golly, he'll get another way. Uh, and, may, and I probably would have tried to get another way, and I probably would have got another way. But I'm thankful those, those people were patient. But what, I, what I'm trying to tell you is somewhere along the way, I started learning some patience of hope. I started getting some confidence in the Word of God, and I started realizing that whether I wanted to be here or not, I needed to be here. And I started coming. Uh, whether, I, whether I wanted to read my Bible or not, I was going to read it. Whether it listen, you want to know something else? I, I, one of the things I struggled with during them days, too, is I was always about how I felt, you know. I really liked when I felt saved, you know. Yeah, I feel it, man. But then I got to where I didn't feel saved. And then I wondered, what well, am I saved? Uh, you know what I mean? But then but it just was a back and forth thing. But then finally, my confidence of hope. My, my assurance, my patience of hope, my perseverance of confidence became, you know what? Well, God said I'm saved. I don't really care whether I feel it or not. How about this one, child of God? This one came a little bit slower. God, you said I was forgiven. I don't care if I feel forgiven or not. What's it matter? Doesn't matter. Zero. I'm going to rejoice. Why? He said I'm forgiven. I still felt like a dog. Didn't matter. I forget. And by the way, when I accepted that, I quit feeling like a dog, and I quit caring much about how much I felt. I don't know the last time I've thought whether or not I felt saved or not. I never even think about it. Because I've got the patience of hope. I know I'm saved. And so therefore you keep on keeping on. But it's confidence in the word of God. It's getting in the word of God that will help develop that in our life. So their drive. What was the fuel that helped this church, which was made up of individuals from the youngest of age to the older of age, everybody in between, this church. Uh, there's going to be some people just start sitting over here. Amen. Because it's always the young folks and the old folks, you know. Uh, and it's not really so, but... But, uh, but, but everybody that was there, uh, <laughs> listen, that, um, that, that they all learned some things. They all learned the work of faith. They all learned the labor of love, and they all began to learn. And I say all. I'm sure there's exceptions. But they all learned the patience of hope. That was their drive. And so as a church, we'll just have to um, maybe stop right there tonight. But their directive uh, is... The fact that they were the church, a called-out assembly, their drive was faith, love, and hope. Um, and the reason they were that way, uh, I'll just give you the, the quick little preview and then uh, stop. But uh, the third thing was going to be the dynamite. How is it that you can get to the point of being that kind of Christian? And I, can I say, by the grace of God, I understand as I stand before you, uh, I, you're looking at a guy that is not the Christian. Number one, I am not the Christian that I want to be. I am not the Christian today that I want to be. Number two, I'll be honest with you. I'm not the Christian that I ought to be. I'm really not. I'm not the person I want to be. I'm not the person I ought to be. The one thing I can rejoice in is I'm not the person I used to be. Amen? And I can rejoice in the fact 
uh, patience of hope, confidence of assurance. You know what I have? I, I have confidence today that God's still working on me. And he and listen, my my life as a Christian is not performance based. My acceptance with God is not performance based. He loves me. He's working on. We get so caught up in what we do. What we do is important. We're going to see that here. But what we need to do is that we do what we do because of who we are. And so it's important that we understand and settle who, what our identity is in Christ. And when I realize who I am in Christ, then that will automatically affect the way I live my life. It'll affect the husband I am, the father I am. It'll affect the pastor I am, just the, the person I am. It's affected when I really grasp who I am. Because I do what I do because of who I am. Because sometimes we get the cart before the horse, or whatever, and we start thinking, you know, what, how am I doing, how am I doing, how am I doing? But then we don't never stop to say, wait, maybe the issue isn't what I'm doing, maybe the issue of who I am. Because sometimes we start thinking we're somebody that we're not, or maybe our old nature, who our old nature is, and we start living out that way. But anyway, the dynamite is the gospel. That's what changed them. That's what got them to that point. And I guess I'm just saying that today, that I'm not all that I want to be today, but I'm telling you, <laughs> I've told you that there's people that's known me my whole life that's surprised that I hadn't quit and ended up, you know, just dead and whatever somewhere, uh, or just quit and like, man, I ain't got, I ain't going to do that anymore. Uh, I'm as amazed as anybody else because of the work that God's done in my heart and life. I really am, but it's the work that He's done. It's Him. It's Him all the way. And by the grace of God, uh, you know, 25 years of marriage. I mean, if the Lord doesn't come in that time, and I believe He will, man, 50 years it'll be. 11 years from now, uh, by the grace of God, I'll be standing here, uh, you know, 22 years. Uh, and, uh, and, 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 and another 20 years, by the grace of God, I'll be saying I've been in South Dakota now for 40 years. And just on, right on down the line, by God's grace. Why? Because it's Him. Why? Patience of hope. Amen? Confidence in, in, in His promises. Confidence in His word. But this all starts with the gospel, verse 5, the dynamite. And then, then we see the demonstration. And that's where I kind of get to where I was talking about. We see their example. We see that they begin to be followers of Paul and of Silas and of Timothy. They begin to be followers. And the way that we really become leaders, you think about this, uh, I'm reluctant with this, okay, because I've got, a, I've got kind of a, a, a rebel spirit or something, you know, a little bit. But... The way we become leaders in the Christian life is by becoming followers. Followers of Christ, followers of good godly examples within the church. They became followers, and since they, were, they became followers of the right kind of people, then they became, follow, then they became leaders and had people following them as well. Um, so, anyway, we'll look at those uh, at a different time. All right. Uh, well, God bless you. Are there any questions or comments tonight? Concerns? Objections? All right. Well, hey, before we dismiss tonight, we are going to have one more time of prayer. And uh, out of the kids that are going back to school, uh, Ashley's the only one that's going like three hours away. The rest of them are going to stay. But what I would like...